So technically it's nine weeks in a row, although this kind of jinxed us last week when somebody tried to Instagram call me to knock us offline or knock the audio off anyways. But I'm Trevor Jaffe. I'm Riley Presnell. Hello. <laughs> That's Chucky. Yeah. And hidden behind the camera is a sugar skull that holds our camera every week for the Instagram Live of the Strength and Success podcast. The real MVP. The real MVP is the, uh, the sugar skull. But every week we go live on Instagram to actually record the podcast. And then we upload it on Sunday night, but it gets released Monday morning on every podcast platform. So this is the Strength and Success podcast. That's all you have to do to find it. This is episode 33, and it is titled Surge to New Levels, which ironically, we just competed at the Power Surge meet at the gym, which is called Surge to New Levels. And we'll recap that a little bit. After every meet, we like to look back and see what we've learned from each experience and share it with you to hopefully help you have better meet days and better experiences and better life experiences because we are about strength and we are about success. And I think that if you learn to build your strength for the platform, you also learn to build your strength for life. And these things tend to carry over, your habits carry over to your life. You know, the more disciplined and structured and habitual you get, habitual strength, you get with your training, the more disciplined and habitual you tend to get with your life, which helps you succeed. So one cool aspect about our podcast, which others don't do, is obviously since we recorded on IG Live, you guys are welcome to drop questions here that we will answer in detail once we get to the questions. And of course, people have sent us questions through our story Q&A. We did get some rather interesting ones. Some are in-depth, some are quick, uh, little, little two or three minute questions that we can go through. So we try to get through like five or six or maybe sometimes seven or eight questions, depending on how in-depth they are. Or how fast Trevor talks. Uh, so Riley did a podcast yesterday and, and Heidi from the Futures Female Powerlifting informed her that she has to slow the podcast speed down when I speak. Yeah, she puts it at like, she said she puts it at 0.75 when Trevor speaks, then I have it at normal. She was like, I don't, and I was like, well, you just have to learn to like listen faster. She goes, I'm from the islands. We don't know how to do anything fast. And I was like, okay, that's Yeah, it's cool. true. I always tell people, I don't speak fast. You listen slow. So that's how, that's how I always tell people. So I thought that was rather ironic. But anyways. Surge New Levels meet. It was one month immediately after the showdown meet. The showdown meet, I, of course, cut to 181 for that one, and Riley cut the 148. This one, we said we're just going to walk in whatever we weigh. And so I actually competed as a 220 athlete. Riley competed as a 165 athlete. So she went up one weight class. I went up two weight classes because my normal walk around is like 205, 206. Anyways, um, the day we left, I was 207, and I weighed in at like 210 after having a bunch of sodium loaded food. And Sergio, who owns the gym, was kind of shocked because I think I signed it at like 198 when we originally entered. Yeah, I signed up for yeah. 148 and you signed up for 198. Yeah, she signed up for 148 and 198. I got on the scale and he saw 210. He's like, oh, and I was like, no, no dude, it's okay. <laughs> so that was kind of funny to see the meat director freak out thinking I missed weight by 12 pounds. Um, but it was a really fun experience. They have an amazing facility. They run an amazing meet. I mean, no meet ever goes perfect. There's always going to be some flaws here and there from every single meet. But the environment, the atmosphere, the equipment, and just the general vibe in the room is positive at the power surge meet. Um, I had athletes, three other, they, they pay athletes for the top three based off Wilkes. It was Dots. Yeah, Dots. So this one, they went Dots for, for top three female, top three men. Um, and I had uh, Danny Masinsic won for the overall for men, one of the people I coach, and, and Jess and Riley took two and three in there, and Haley had a pretty phenomenal performance. One of the cool things about meets that is always my favorite experience is um, getting to really not just meet new people, but meet them in depth. Uh, we sat down the first day after weigh-ins with Joe Kersey, the traveling warrior, and Chris Bridgeford, um, who's like my powerlifting son. So we got to have a really cool dinner, uh, breakfast, sorry, and we met um, one of Joe's Kersey clients, uh, Colton. Yeah. I'm actually remembering people's names. I'm on a You're hot street. So I'm doing so good. So it was great to talk shop and have breakfast with other coaches and, and athletes. And um, 
Then, of course, after the meet, we had dinner with Haley and Tom Callis. We were at separate tables, so Tom Callis was like, I'm not letting you get away without having a meal. We had breakfast the next day with Tom Callis, who I got to meet um, at a different level because we only know each other online, really. I mean, we've seen each other meets but never got to talk. He's, like, so down to earth and just um, uh, level-headed compared to somebody who normally squats, like, that amount of weight and has put up, like, massive totals and has huge records. And people like that tend to have a little bit of a... A higher ego and he refused to let me pay for breakfast not that that made him what was humble but just like like he works a full-time job he coaches he coached Haley through this meet uh, he's a family man like he talked about doing things first thing in the morning so he can spend time with his family it was so cool and refreshing to see somebody at that level live a normal life and not an influencer life yeah it was I've never I think I met him maybe briefly once at Surge, but I officially met him this year at uh, Power Surge, and that was really cool yeah. to get breakfast with him. Um, I always love getting breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, with all the people that we don't get to see. And the Power Surge is probably, and I told Sergio this too, it's probably my favorite meet to not just compete at, but to attend. Um, I've only competed at the Power Surge twice, but I think I've been to like four or five of them. Um, and every single time I go, I have a good time, and it's always a great environment, and everyone's super helpful. Um, he definitely caters to the lifters and like tries to make it as run as smoothly and as possible and make sure everyone has everything they need. Like, you know, he lets everyone choose. He sits on uh, behind the curtain and lets everyone choose their third attempt endless song. You know, like not most me directors aren't just going to sit there and be like, what would you like for your song? You know, he <laughs> sat there and did that. I thought that was fun. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of, we had a good time. Even on Friday, we went into Surge and um, you helped Jess Springer with some deadlift stuff. And so yeah, I, to, I, I spent the day before the meet in the gym, not lifting. Well, I lifted a little bit, but but like demonstrating squat bench and deadlift technique stuff with, with Jess Springer and Vanessa and Patrick, you know, different things. It just shows you how relaxed we were going into this meet versus like the showdown where we both had to make weight. Um, was able to spend the day casually helping other people before I even competed, which was nice. Yeah, so I got to sit there and talk with Jess and Vanessa a little bit and just kind of like, Jess and I just chilled on the floor because we were, you know, competing the next day. But it was really, really nice to walk in and just kind of weigh in at whatever you weigh in at, which is what I'm usually used to doing. But showdown, I gave myself a challenge. Um, I weighed in at 154. Um, I went seven for nine on the day, which was an improvement from showdown. I got two more attempts than I got at showdown. So that was cool. Um, just shows you she waited at 154 which means she could have made 148 again yeah. but didn't because just because you could doesn't mean you should you know, I don't have to and like that's what it wasn't I didn't feel as much pressure with this one you know like the showdown is a huge meet like uh, surge is an invitational meet as well like you have to have a qualifying total but showdown is shaping up to be like one of the bigger sleeve meets of the year so I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more and you know there's a little bit more pressure that you put on yourself internally um, so at showdown, I was a little bit more serious and I really wanted to like be in the zone and kind of like do my thing. And then with surge, I was like, well, it doesn't really, you know, like in my head before surge, I was like, oh, I could possibly be in the money, but it's a wrapped meet too. So, and I compete in sleeves. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like win anything. Like it'd be cool. It's possible, but I don't know if I will. And so I just walked in, weighed in, whatever, and had fun the whole day and Jess actually told me, um, she was like, you're the most calm and composed lifter I've ever lifted with. And that's what, that's like the uni the unanimous thing I've been hearing. Like when I recorded the podcast with Heidi, she was like, you're so composed and calm. And I'm like, yeah, that's how I lift the best. And so that's what I did all day is I just calm, had fun. 
um, you know, cheered other people on, talked to people in between, snacked on food. And when they started to announce like the overall and, you know, Sergio was like, oh, we go by dots. And I was like, yeah, cool. It's probably, I, I thought Jenna, actually your client, Jenna started, yeah. I thought she edged me out cause she out totaled me. Um, and so I was like, oh, Jenna's probably going to get third. And then I imagined Jess and Haley. And then Sergio was like, oh, by dots, uh, Riley Presnell gets third. And I was like, me? <laughs> me? And so I was really excited when I walked up there and he handed me a large check. And I was like, I don't know what I'd do with this now. But that was really cool for me. Um, I've won Best Lifter before, but I've never won any money. So that was a cool new thing for me. I fell a little bit short of the dots goal that I wanted, but I only fell short by like eight or nine points or something of what I wanted. So that's my goal for the next one. And we sat down after the surge and talked about what goals we had uh, for the next meets and whatnot and going forward. But yeah, overall, it was a great time. Like I really had a tremendous time. Like it didn't feel stressful. It didn't feel like we were competing at all because we were like, oh, we're just going to go hang out and lift with friends. Right. It's like a fan it really was a fancy training day, like I always say. Yeah. And I, I like to look at it and I always, whether I have a great day or a poor day, I look at it, well, okay, what's my main takeaway? And uh, I haven't done too many meets where I haven't had to water deplete a little bit or cut. I've only done one other meet at 220, um, and that was many years ago. And that was because I was coaching like nine lifters in that same meet. And I was like, I'm just not going to bother with them. I'm going to be more there for them than me. And I was even like wrapping people in that meet and uh, while I was competing. <laughs> That's fun. So this is the first time in like four and a half or five years I've competed without any type of manipulation or cut. And so I'm a creature of habit. So my one takeaway was I ate and bloated as if I cut. Yeah. And, you know, to recomp, which was weird because when I went to squat, the first thing I said to Riley was like, I'm in my own way. <laughs> I bloated a lot, even though I didn't need to. And so when I went to squat, my belt was super snug and I felt stiff and I was in my own way. So it's like, there was my one takeaway. Like, if you don't cut, you don't bloat. You mm -hmm. kind of eat as normal. And just being such a creature of habit, I, I went to town to put in like 10,000 calories and all the sodium I could and blow it up. Uh, granted, I didn't miss a single squat. I got called for depth on my second, which just kind of upset some people. They're like, did you really get called for depth on that one? <laughs> I was like, I'm not the judge. That's what they called. So I took it again and got it. Um, I actually made the same mistake. I did a showdown emotionally. I'm like, just retake it. And then I was like, well, that was not that hard. I probably should have gone up, but it was too late. I missed my 60 second window. So reminded lesson there is uh, once you've made your opener, don't pick off of motion. But also if you didn't cut, don't bloat. You don't need to bloat that hard. I was really in my own way on squats. And so I just grazed throughout the day as I normally do and got better by deadlifts. Um, it was a fun meet. I actually had a small PR total. Uh, a few pounds and of course I had the, the meat PR deadlift at 810 which is the 220 all-time record so it was great if you have one takeaway from this meet what would it be um that I need to have fun like ultimately that I need to just have fun like you you can be competitive and still have a good time like I am a very competitive person I don't outwardly express that very often but I am incredibly competitive with myself and in general um but I learned here that I don't need to be serious uh not not necessarily angry but i don't need to be serious like solemn kind of riley to compete well i kind of i need to have fun i need to be competitive and use like like i in the meat prep jess uh slavinsky and i we would like compete with like who could cheat row more you know right. and like but we would have fun with it like i'd be like oh i got 11 you got to get 12 and kind of like i need to have like a playful type of competition uh, to do well. So if I'm having more fun, I will always compete well. Um, that 
I just need to surround myself with people that are also not negative and Debbie Downers on meet day. Because mm-hmm. um, some people can be super draining for me. And energy I vampires. Yes. They don't mean to be. They don't know they are. But man, there are some people who are just energy vampires on meet day. I don't want them anywhere around me. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally an empath. So if someone uh, has a certain mood around me, I tend to take on that mood too to like kind of match that. And uh, I don't need that. If you are going to complain and sit in the corner and cry and like not want to be social or whatever, I'm probably not going to talk to you anymore. And that's not, uh, it's not, I would say it's not personal, but it's a little personal. But it's I think she like, needs any more that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any more midday. You're going to cry in a corner. We're never talking again. <laughs> well, also, if you're going to cry in a corner, get over it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like if you're going to be a baby on midday, I'm probably not going to talk to you on midday because. I need to protect my peace that way. So if you bring any negativity around me and I walk away from you, just know that you are the negative one. <laughs> Damn, I'm, I'm really regretting not aim, naming this episode Protect Your Peace now. <laughs> well, it could be. With the money story. shot over there. Protect Your Peace. Oh, that, is, that is a good one. Um, thankfully, it wasn't the day I was competing. Somebody messaged Riley, somebody I've never met, and no fault of his own, asked if I would wrap his knees on meat day. And I, oh, I've learned now that I'm going to say no. I don't know this young man. I don't know anything about how he lifts and I don't know how hard or tension he can take wraps or anything to cue him because I am not his coach. I've never worked out with him a day in my life. And so being, you know, part of the community, I'm like, sure, I'll wrap you. Never seen him squat. Not one time. Never seen anything. And I wrap this young man and right away he starts going, oh, like making noise. He's never been wrapped like that before. And he ended up going two for three, but after like his last warm up, he goes, hey, when we go up there, can you call my numbers too? And I'm like, no, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what your numbers are. I don't know what your capabilities are. I don't know how you lift. I don't even know the heaviest number you've taken in training. I have no clue. Uh, no, no fault of his own, he's a very young kid. Um, and he was a nice, nice gentleman, but uh, that's a mistake on my part, just trying to help out. And it, I probably did him more of a disservice because I don't know anything about how he lifts or what he does. And right away, he was like shocked by the rap tension. And I'm like, who's rapping you and how? Trevor only, like, out of a scale of 10. I gave Trevor him a only, seven. Yeah, it was it was a pretty light I rap. gave him a seven, and he was, like, howling about the tension and, and showing some marks on his legs during, during the meet. And he wanted, like, a 500 squat, and he kind of bobbled and grinded 468, I think it was. I think so. Yeah, and he jumped the 490, and I just knew this kid didn't have the upper back for this, yeah. this lift. And sure enough, and I tried to give him some cues. I'm like, hey... When you come out of the hole, the wraps are going to push your knees back. You need to drive your chest and shoulders up and back into the bar. And sure enough, he came out of the hole and his whole body slid backwards and he, he fell backwards. Shout out to the spotters. They did a great freaking job catching him. Um, and that, that's a lesson learned that if you don't know somebody, don't volunteer to help that person. It's better to say no and explain why you're saying no. You well, know? also as a lifter going into a meet, you need to be around people that know your training or know your cues or things yeah. like that. So. Um, if you either, if you go to the meet by yourself, you know, you know, you, <laughs> so yes. you know what you should be doing. But if you go to the meet with like a crew or a couple people, make sure that they are people that you trust and that you train with pretty often because you'll, you'll do better that way. Yes. Like even if I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to choose someone random, uh, off the street to, you know, do, who's never seen you lift, knows nothing about you. Yeah. Case in point, uh, Jimmy Algren Bell, who, who James, Jimmy, I say it every time. <laughs> 
He actually called him James. He's like, did you just call me James? <laughs> um, it's his real name. He went nine for nine as one of my clients. I see his squad, his training every single week. I know what he needs. I know what to cue him. I know what to do. And I wrapped him on Sunday for the meet and he he hit a huge PR yeah. of 683 in the meet. Jimmy, there he is right there. <laughs> and it's like, but I knew him. I knew how to wrap him. I knew what the caveats were. I knew what his struggles were. I knew what to cue him. Uh, phenomenal day, and maybe we left something in that deadlift tank, which is kind of cool. So, uh, what did he pull? 682, 688, somewhere around there? Jimmy can tell you what he pulled. But either way, he uh, totaled his first elite total, and uh, he's now qualified for pro day next year, so we'll probably be back there, and I'll probably be wrapping Jimmy again next year. <laughs> uh, and maybe Gabriel, who's had to come out there. So, But you're always going to want to look at experiences and find your takeaways. And I don't mean that in a negative light, good day or bad day. What can I take away from this day? Because that's how we progress and learn. Absolutely. That is how you surge to a new level, hence yeah. the name. That's a great name. It's a great gym name. All right, let's see what kind of questions we got. There was a few, uh, am I on here or am I off here? There we go, we're on here. Um, that's not a question. There was something about question. dots. How uh, does dots work? I've never really known. That's a Google question, man. It's like it's just a coefficient. It's yeah. basically, uh, it's, no, it's not much different than Wilkes in general, but it's just a coefficient that takes your body weight in comparison to um, your lifts, just like Wilkes. I think that there is a slight difference. Like the, I know for me there's a slight difference between my dots and my Wilkes. Um, the dots is supposed to be less uh, favorable towards like I think the Wilkes was more favorable towards the end. Heavyweight, yeah, the, there was a bell curve, right? So if yeah. you were you were very heavy or very light, the Wilkes kind of favored you, and Dots was supposed to even out that coefficient a little bit. It seems to, I'm not sure. There's, there's Dots, there's Wilkes, there's uh, Schwartz Malone, uh, there's Allometric, which is not fair to anyone who's in like the heavyweight classes. That's basically yeah. just like, you know, whatever times your body weight. Uh, there's a few systems that people have used to figure things out. No, no one is perfect. They're always working on these mathematical equations to try and make it as even as possible. But the fact of the matter is you lift your lift and you do your best day and see where it goes. Yep. Okay. So this one was sent to you in the DM. It said, with things you went through outside of training, do you think it helped to get in a better mindset to break the world records? If so, how can someone on an intermediate level get to a better or more aggressive mindset to help on meet day? So I do not have an aggressive mindset with my lifting anymore. I've learned that the angrier I lift, the worse I perform because you fatigue out before you get to the bar. You're so tensed up, you're wasting energy. Uh, it is the opposite of that. And I've explained this to other people when they've asked about, some people are a little bit familiar with the situations and things I had to go through. I don't usually discuss my personal life publicly because it's my personal life, but I look at it differently. I don't get angry, oh, of course I'm angry and emotioned by these things, but I don't use that anger to lift. I use it as the opposite. I use it as, okay, I cannot control those outside factors of my life that I have to deal with, but I can control the factors of my nutrition, my training, my sleep, and my recovery. So the more life gets out of my control outside, the more I focus on controlling the things I can because it gives me a sense of purpose and direction because I know I'm capable of managing and manipulating those scenarios, they become less worrisome. I actually eliminate some of my stress by dialing in my focus on what I can control. So I wouldn't say that it helped me from an aggressive standpoint, quite the opposite. It helped me from a focus standpoint because rather than 
constantly trying to focus and think about the bad things that I can't change. I focus on the good things that I can manipulate and, and, and focus in on and dial in and improve upon. I become laser focused on my goals and my tasks because that's going to bring me some sense of joy in the end versus the other, which is just going to bring me anger and misery and the whole nine. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't deal with those things. It just means I try not to focus on them and, to, and let them sort themselves out through time. Um, I, I know a lot of people lift from anger and I know that that is something that tends to help a, a good majority of people. I am not one of them. Uh, like I said, I had to be in a good headspace, even if I am having a rough time in my life currently, like the gym is something that I really, really enjoy. I'm not going to bring negativity to the gym just for the sake of trying to be more aggressive. That doesn't work for me. Um, also generally speaking, like, you know, the people that say that they lift from anger or that they lift, they have to lift angry or else they can't turn it on or whatever. What are you as an individual, what are you going to do when you have resolved that trauma or you have gotten past that bad point in your life and you have no more anger? Like, what do you do when you're at a truly happy place in your life to lift anymore? You know, like if that's all that you rely on is like, oh, well, these things suck outside of the gym. So I'm going to use that anger and harness it for uh, my lifting in the gym. What are you going to do when you don't have those things anymore? Are you not going to be able to lift anymore because you have no anger? Like, I just feel like it's not necessarily the healthiest way to lift is through just by trying to get pissed off about everything that you can't control. Mm -hmm. Because like Trevor said, like you have to be in control. You have to be focused on the lift because once we lose control on the lift, we can only lift what we can control, right? So if you're getting out of control and aggressive and uh, rage filled, you're going to waste so much energy just before you even get up to the bar that you're not gonna have enough energy to control the weight anymore, yep. in my opinion. A lot of people get su they get super far in their careers just by lifting off of rage. And like there is the 2% of people that are always going to be rage lifters. They're always going to have to be super, super angry to lift. And that's fine. That's them, that's not you though. Um, so once you get like you do you can't rely on the rage because you're going to get a point to a point in your life where you don't have that anymore and you have a healthy hopefully. relationship hopefully <laughs> yeah Gen i mean if you're if you're proactive and taking uh the steps to resolve trauma in your life as you should as an adult like as if you're a grown adult and you're uh wallowing in your trauma rather than right. trying to figure it out you need to go to therapy um but yeah, being truthful lifting from anger and emotion is an excuse to not have to deal with it yeah. and not have to process it uh yes it can fuel you initially but eventually that taps out that runs out and it's an added stressor and you might loathe eventually training yeah. because you're always angry in that mindset and you're like i don't want to go train it just makes you, me angry you equate yeah you equate yeah. the two with each other you're like well power it becomes a relationship yep yep and you don't want to do it anymore so i mean once you if you're in a good place where you have a healthy relationship, you have a good family, you have a good job, like what are you going to do at that point if you have no more rage to lift? Are you yeah. just going to say, oh, well, I'm weaker now because I'm not angry. And That's lame. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but Edward Blair is on here. Edward Blair broke the 220 all-time full power bench record. Yeah. You can tell me what it was. It was like 584 or something crazy 583. like that. 583. Some crazy bench at 220 in full power, which is the highest ever full power bench. Um... I don't think I saw him get like super amped, super crazy, super emotional all day. He was pretty calm. He was pretty chill the entire Until time. after he hit the lift. He was excited. Yeah, he was super super excited after. Of course, he should be. He just hit something monumental. I think the record stood for like 47 years or 43 years. But I didn't see him like pacing, smacking his head against the wall, doing anything. 
Um, I, I kind of find like if you need to do that every single time, then you don't want to be doing this. You're doing this to blunt the other response that you haven't dealt with. Kind of. Thing. We saw we saw some ammonia in the last in the warm up room. Like last warm up thing, people need to hit ammonia to like get angry and like. Seriously, like, come on! If you need me. ammonia for your last warm up, really? It's not last warm up anymore. <laughs> You're opening too heavy then. <laughs> yes. oh, I don't use ammonia. At all. Nope. Um, I also don't use baby powder when I deadlift. Go figure. Uh, I only do on meat day. Yeah. That's it. Only on meat day. Yeah. If I can, it because I would be so mad at myself if the thing that stopped me from locking out a deadlift was because I got too stuck on my thighs. I'd be so mad. So baby powder on meat day. Yep. Okay. Uh, next question, if you're ready. Yep. Would you prefer to work with an athlete that typically finds the successes in failure or one that typically finds failures in success? That's a great question. Very good question. And I'm actually going to have you read it again just so people understand what that said. Because oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's deep. Okay. Again, would you prefer to work with an athlete that typically finds successes in failure or one that typically finds failures in success? That's a great question. So people who find success and failure means they're looking at the bright side, they're looking at the positives, the good things they can take away from when they've had a poor day versus people who find failure in success. And I'd rather work with the first. Mm -hmm. I'd rather look work with someone who can look at the objective outcome and say, hey, I've made progress here. I know I'm capable, I can keep doing more than someone who constantly shits on themselves and belittle themselves because negativity is contagious. Mm -hmm. If you've had a great day and you're finding flaw with it, like we were joking with Jimmy, he went nine for nine, I'm like, did you even try? You know, <laughs> you have, you tried, have you tried trying? <laughs> and we were laughing about it, but it wasn't really negative. He didn't walk off the platform like, shit, I left 20 pounds on the platform, I'm a total failure, I could have done even better. He was like, dude, I had a great day and I feel like I had more in the tank, we, we did a great job, this is a positive. Um, some mindsets like that will look for any negativity possible. And that's what Riley was talking about before with, with the energy vampires and you know the people who drain you. I've seen that where somebody has hit a platform PR and a total PR and write about it like it was a shit day. And like you trained to PR your total, you PR'd your total. Maybe you didn't get the exact number of what you want, but you showed progress, which means training was fruitful. Yeah, it's that, it's that, like we talk about the stepping stone goals, like your big goal and then your stepping stone goal is in the middle of it. You just achieved a stepping stone goal, so you still achieved a goal even if it wasn't the big goal. Right, right. So that's, that makes it real simple. And it's a small mindset shift that people don't realize they do where they're constantly picking themselves apart and never recognizing the progress. Yes. It's really hard to progress someone like that because all they ever want to see is the negative. I kind of just talked about, I recorded with uh, Heidi for Future is Female Powerlifting on Tuesday, I think. I don't even know what day it is anymore. But um, I kind of talked about this a little bit then is like, you know, I get really, I get really bummed out when the only messages that I get from a lifter are super, super negative to the point where I've had a handful of lifters who I'm like, all right, I'm, t <laughs> I'm tired of it. Um, the next time that you send me a lifting video, you have to tell me two positives before you can yep. even say anything negative that you need to work on. Because it is so, it's not only draining for me because then I have to validate, right? Then you have to, if you're someone who is searching for negativity, you're generally searching for validation. Like that's kind of how it works where if you're, you know, consulting your coach or your partner or whoever it is and you're saying something negative, the hopes in your brain is that whoever you're talking to is going to say something positive about it. So you're searching for validation. And that is fine in some instances, but if that is your soul, if that's the only way that you get by is by searching for validation, um, that needs that needs to change because that's not always gonna be there, right? But I ask lifters 
to tell me something positive before they can even say anything remotely negative. Like right. minimum one thing. What is one thing that you did good today before you can tell me what you didn't like? And that is helpful for me because then that starts to kind of change their mindset, right? Changes their mindset to where they're looking for the positives first instead of the negatives first. Um, and also like, I know that there are some lifters who every single session, they want me to tell them something that they're doing wrong. And that's not always going to happen. Like sometimes things are just moving good. Yep. And they're in, they're sometimes on, things are moving great. Yes. And, they're, <laughs> and they're, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. They're on cruise control and you're having a good time. And it's like, yeah, you know, like say it's bench. Every single, if like twice a week, I'm telling you, bench looks great. Yeah. Don't search for something negative there. Ride that wave because that wave of things feeling good is eventually going to come crashing down. And it's really frustrating when you, when things are going well and then eventually it kind of falls to the wayside. So I would much rather always have someone who finds like even a small win in a failure. Like it could be, well, you know, I, it could be something like super small, like, Oh, I like Dawn used to joke about this. Oh, I didn't cry today. Like I, I didn't, I didn't it's cry. It's, it's still a win. Um, but yeah, I think finding successes in failure is going to help with your longevity as a lifter and not burn you out so quickly rather than someone who is always looking for failures and success. That like, was a great question. Yeah. I really like that question. Edward touched up on this and he mentioned why he's comp. So I wanted to read this real quick. He goes, um, he actually uh, benched 573 at 220, which was the full power all-time world record open class. I have to be calm so I don't forget how to brace or miss groove and taking those thirds tire me out so no energy to get angry. Exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. He saves it for what he needs it for, which is the actual lift. Yep. Great, great commentary there, Edward. And uh, he, uh, he's drinking the greens and he likes the greens. So <laughs> big ups to Ed. <laughs> okay. All right. So what do we got? This is one that you wanted to answer. Uh, oh, good. You, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. What is your PCT protocol after a meet and before post-meet blood work? Okay. I was really glad that somebody asked this question, which I'm not going to answer in the way that he'd like me to. For those unaware, PCT means post-cycle therapy. And for untested athletes who use performance-enhancing drugs, he's talking about what do I do post-meet as far as blood work and post-cycle therapy to bring my body back to homeostasis or whatever, or normal hormonal levels and the whole night. Um, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't care how long you've been powerlifting or how much oil you've injected into your ass. You're not a medical doctor. Experience doesn't mean education in that aspect. Endocrinologists go to school for 12 years and do a practicum and a time to call themselves doctor and understand the hormonal system. The only person you should be talking to about this is a medical professional. This is like going to a crackhead who's been smoking crack for three years and assuming he's an expert on all things crack. That doesn't work. That's not the way. Yes, there's area for discussion. People can talk about what you use and why and what you do after. If you're in a very close relationship with that person, that doesn't make it medical advice. This is a huge pet peeve of mine when people pontificate or sell or offer uneducated actual medical advice because one day you're going to kill someone. This is why I don't talk about how much I cut when I make the cuts to 81. This is why I don't go over that because I make a choice, a subconscious choice to, I think Jared is actually the person who asked this question. So he missed the no, first half. Is it a Jared? Okay. It's a different Jared. It's, it's, um, it's, it's something within me that like, if I'm doing something that might be slightly unsafe, I'm not going to share it with the world and act like it's safe. I'm not going to tell everyone how I did it or why I did it and they should do it too. That's completely irresponsible. I'm someone's dad. You know, I would never let my son go in that environment or do things. And I, I wouldn't do that to a friend either. 
Giving medical advice when you're not a medical professional is really, really, really unethical in my opinion. It's one of my huge pet peeves. Can I tell you what I take? Sure. Should I? No. But can I? Yes. Does that make it medical advice? Absolutely not. I, I get so angry when I see people freely giving medical advice when they're not medical professionals. It's your experience. It's what you've done. That doesn't yeah. make it concrete fact. That doesn't make it you know something that you've studied or reviewed. It makes it something you chose to do. That was your choice. Mm -hmm. And when people really, really look up to you because you're so-and-so athlete, they're gonna follow what you say and what you do, and you need to be sure that you're not giving them poor medical advice. That's really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think that there, it's obviously in the sport, and so I think that conversations around <laughs> it, in, I think conversations around it in the sport are important because it's there. And especially like, I know that it's big with women right now too, because it's in the sport. It should be talked about. And yes, like Trevor mentioned, you can talk about what you use. You can talk about what side effects that you've had, how it benefited you, but that is you. That is individually to one specific person. Right. So even if, you know, you were like, oh, I really like this person and you know, we're kind of, we kind of lift the same amount of weight. Maybe I can take the same amount of things that they take. That does not mean the same thing. You will not respond that same way. Your side effects are going to be different. Um, potential long-term effects are going to be very different, like especially with women, like the virilization effects. Those are permanent once you have those. So if you are acquiring those and you're just like, well, I read it on a blog that someone used it by just a random power lifter, so I'm gonna try it out. And you're running that risk of hitting all these virilization effects. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that I would ever take to Instagram for medical advice. Yeah. I'm going to go to a doctor, a hormone specialist, endocrinologist, something like that. Read a book. There are books in endocrinology. You can understand what the side effects are, what these hormones do, what you need to worry about. It's research you actually do and talking to somebody who uses it. Like I said, it's getting advice from a crackhead on how to smoke crack. It is not actual advice. It is not an education. You, you are going to look these things through. I've had four lifters reach out to me about coaching who said, will you tell me what to take? And I said, no. And they didn't sign up for coaching because they were looking for drug coaching, not training coaching. That's not me, man. Go somewhere else. I don't care. I will teach you how to train. I will teach you how to do things better and have great habits and create a right mindset. But I will not teach you or tell you what to take because that is your personal choice. Yep. That's not on me or you. I actually left another podcast because I don't want to be associated with drug coaching. <laughs> uh, okay. Moving forward. Uh, breakdown on the responsibilities between coach and athlete and mistakes you often see from both sides. This is from Gabriel. Ah, a good question. Uh, Gabe, who just commented, this is a good in-depth question. Um, mistakes that we see from both sides, no one is perfect. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this at breakfast with, with Chris Bridgeford often because he experienced some trouble here and there and it was about setting your systems and setting your ways for communication. This is very important for the professional coach, not the hobby coach, right? You have to have your work time, your communication times, and your systems and your methods. They will differ from coach to coach. Some will type their programs out, some will use a programming software, some will use spreadsheets and so forth. However you decide to do it is on you. But you have to have a clear guidelines. Are you sending it weekly? Are you sending it monthly? Are you just sending, you know, general, here's 12 weeks, you know, whatever you're doing. Making sure the athlete is aware of when and how they're getting their program. Now, you also want to make sure that they're aware of if they're sending you videos, where and how and, and, and how many and so forth. So you set, they're in my new athlete guidelines and frequently asked questions. I tell them they can send me up to two videos per session. Uh, and I, what I say about up to two videos, it doesn't mean send me an entire week's worth at once because that's not fair to my time. Like I want them to make sure that they're aware that I'm very structured 
with my day and time and here's the best way to communicate to me. I don't appreciate when an athlete sends me 10 videos at once and like here's a week. I don't have a half hour scheduled in my day to sit there and watch 10 videos. So I'm very strict on my guidelines and standards of here's what I want and why. You have to do that. So a mistake from a coach's perspective is not setting those guidelines ahead of time because if you actually get busy, you're gonna become overwhelmed very quick. And when you're overwhelmed, you're going to burn out. Your communication is going to differ to the athlete because you're going to have a condescending tone to them. And you're going to get late on your programs or struggle to live your life or do things and have to stay up late to finish things. So if you don't create your systems from the get-go, that's your biggest mistake. The biggest mistake from a client is not asking ahead of time, hey, what are your systems? Good God, yeah. How do I communicate to you? How many videos should I send you? What feedback do you want from me? Because if I don't hear anything from you, I don't get any videos, I don't get a weekly recap via email, which is how I prefer it so I can reference it because there's, there's no social media on my computer when I'm working, I don't want to be disturbed by anything, I just want emails uh, for recaps, for their weekly training recap. If you don't communicate to me, I think everything's great. No news is good news. And then what happens is you're gonna send me that message like, hey coach, I haven't lifted in two and a half weeks because I've had the flu. Why didn't you tell me that two and a half weeks ago? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you tell me you have a vacation next week? Why didn't you tell me you've entered a contest in five weeks and it's in wraps? Like people will actually not ask a coach how they like to be communicated to and what they need from that athlete to the coach so the coach can help them best. That's why I created my frequently asked questions and guidelines and I, I have to remind you all the time, hey, please go back and read the guidelines so you can see how to best communicate to me and give me this information. If you don't communicate as an athlete, I can't help you as a coach because I'm blind. And I'm gonna assume everything went freaking fantastic otherwise, and I'm gonna keep progressing you up and come to find out you've actually been missing reps because you haven't told me. Yeah. So that's the mistake from a client is not asking how the coach wants to be communicated to you and following that structure. I'll try to answer it a little bit differently. I'll give two different answers. So from a coaching aspect, um, things that you're going to mess up from time to time is going to be how you communicated to a client, right? Mm -hmm. So communication is a big thing for me. Every once in a while, you're going to communicate in a way that comes across poorly to another client. You're going to either not mesh at that time or you don't know what's going on with that lifter's personal life and how you address them is going to trigger them in a negative way. Um, it's going to happen. And when that happens as a coach, um, that's when you just say, you know what, I'm very, you know, I'm sorry that I apologized that. Uh, it came across that way. This is not how I intended it. This is how I intend it. Um, make sure that you're very clear on how you intended the communication to be delivered. Um, and as a lifter in that aspect, you just have to realize that your coach is a human too. You're not a robot. Um, but as you know, I've heard a lot of coaches that are like, well, it's my way or the highway. and This is how I communicate. So if you don't like it, suck it up. You're, you're gonna lose clients eventually because that's what this is, communication is through, it's right. online, it's through your phone, it's through email, it's through text, whatever it is, it's all online and text can be misconstrued like as the tone of it. So if you have offended a lifter, you just have to say, no, this is how I intended it. So you're going to make mistakes on how you communicate to a lifter and when you do make that mistake, just apologize. Just apologize like you would any other time. Like just say, hey, I'm sorry that you uh, that it came across this way, this is how I intended it to be. And clients, client mistakes to their coaches, um, stop blaming your program or your coach for your lack of progress. Um, I see this pretty often too, where it is, you know, a client doesn't do really, really well, and then they immediately blame their coach in the program instead of taking accountability for what they could have done better. So as a lifter, 
the biggest mistake I see being made is lack of accountability. You know, they're ones that have these big lofty goals, but they miss two to three training sessions uh, a week, or they, you know, they're off, they're behind by a whole week because they didn't manage their time well, or mm -hmm. they're not sleeping or they're not eating or whatever it is. But then when it comes down to it and they don't get the results that they wanted, instead of being like, you know, I really messed this up. I did not prioritize this as much as I should have in order to reach the goals. They instead will say, well, my coach didn't get me there. Your coach is there to help you. Your coach is there to make the plan. Your coach is there to set you up for success as best as they possibly can, but it is your job to execute. So if you cannot execute, that is not entirely on your coach. If there is, if there needs to be a change in like programming style or you're realizing that things aren't working for you that your coach has, communicate those. You know, say, yeah. hey, I don't know that this is the best system for me. Um, I'm not seeing a whole lot of gains or progress being had from this. Um, can we switch it up? You know, like have that open conversation with your coach. But if you're someone who immediately attacks the program or the coaching without actually looking at what you could have done better first, you're missing out as an athlete too. So have accountability rather than blaming. This is, this is most often seen when you have someone who refuses to grow. <laughs> what I mean by that, and I'll give you an example from my history. I had an athlete who wanted to break an all-time world record at a certain weight class in a certain division. And I said, go up a weight class, put on sleeves, take off the wraps, get stronger and come back down. And that athlete initially agreed and then refused and wanted the reps and then decided to cut and kept themselves down and did these things because they were afraid somebody else was going to break it. And of course, they missed. They missed their world record. We, we severed ties and, and, and uh, the whole nine. It's like you have to listen as an athlete. That's what it means. You're, you're hiring a coach so you can be coached and the coach is making a recommendation to you. And I'll give you now myself as a personal example. My first meet at 181, I was uh, projecting to hit seven. I only hit 655 in the, in the meet when I cut down. I took a couple years off from 81 and went up to 98 and built my deadlift up to 727 and came back down and then pulled, um, I think it was 694 at 181. Took a couple years off from, 19, from 181, went back up to 198, got bigger and got stronger, built my deadlift up to 755, somewhere in there, cut back down to 88, 88 and uh, 81, sorry, and pulled 744 at 181. I got bigger again and went back up to 198 and took three years off from 181, came down to 81, pulled 771. Sometimes you have to put aside your immediate goal for the long-term development. And that might mean getting bigger or taking wraps off or changing your bench grip or changing from heels for a while to start learning a different pattern. But these things take time. The example I gave you of myself was a period over seven years. Seven years to go from 655 at 81 to 771. Didn't happen in one training cycle or from meet to meet. It happened in seven years. And each time I would go up, get stronger, and then cut back down because I could make the weight. But I got stronger first. And sometimes that means getting bigger or taking the wraps off or training something different to develop a weakness. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same result, which is going to keep you exactly where you are. People are resistant to change. I just want to reiterate seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Um, you know, like everyone wants, they're like, well, I should have, I should be hitting at least a five or 10 pound PR between meets in, in a year. Should, like, what do you mean you should? Like that, you're not entitled to PRs just because you compete. You're entitled, you're not even entitled to PRs. Like you earn PRs based off of your work. But you know, Charlie, uh, Charlie Binkley and I had a conversation after Trevor hit the 810 at Surge. And Charlie was like, this should be eye opening to everyone that like, you sometimes fight tooth and nail for a PR. Like it took Trevor 
a, a whole ass year to get six pounds on a deadlift, you know, and especially, uh, and then you're mentioning seven years to hit a PR at all in general, like earlier in your career. Mm-hmm. But Charlie was like, you know, Trevor is going to be 42 next Tuesday. And, um, he's still hitting PRs on the platform. And he's like, yeah, it's not a 20 pound PR or whatever. But like when you're reaching a higher, when you're trying to achieve higher levels, it's going to be slow. Like building your natural strength is, it's a slow process. Like it doesn't just happen overnight. Like unless, especially like if you've already come in pretty strong and you're pretty strong and you're trying to add uh, more weight to your total, but it took Trevor seven years. Hit a PR. And a little bit different. So 804 was at 188. 810 was at 220. Exactly. So what meant more to me was hitting the bigger platform number, not what weight class I did in, although I had a reason to go for the weight class because of the all-time world record in that one and getting the the deadlift record for all three, 81, 98, and 220. But that's the difference maker that a lot of people won't make. They're stuck on, I need to be in this weight class. I need to be in this division. I need to do this. It's like, well, the longer you stay there, the longer you will stay there. Also, like... Kind of like, what's your rush, right? So most of these people that have these goals, whenever I ask them, I'm like, well, how long do you plan on powerlifting? Like, well, I want to powerlift as long as I can, as long as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're in your twenties and like, let's say as long as you possibly can is your late fifties or sixties. Even Let's say you're in your twenties and you want to be powerlifting until you're 60. That's 40 years, right? That's a very long time. So why are you in a rush to immediately hit all of the PRs, all of the goal PRs that you ever had in your first two years of powerlifting? Like, there is no rush for this and you can continuously keep building at a consistent basis and yeah, you're going to fall back. You're going to take some steps back. You're going to take some steps forward and you're going to take some steps back. But like, what is the rush? Pace yourself. Uh, yes. One of the things that marathon runners have to learn is how to pace the mile. Yep. You know, when you run a marathon, you don't run the first mile as fast as you can. You run this first mile the same speed you're going to run the last mile. Yep. So all 26.2 miles are run at the exact same pace at the exact same speed, but you get 26.2 miles down the line later. So that's what you have to learn in powerlifting is you have to learn how to pace yourself through progress and not rush yourself through progress. Or you get burnout. Burnout. And then you quit three years in because you're tired of it and you are angry more than you're happy. I've talked about this a lot online. 50% of the people who are watching this, reading this, or seeing this will quit powerlifting in five years. 50% of you will be gone because you're burnt out because you didn't pace yourself. Uh, At the 10 year mark, probably 75 to 80% of you will be gone. I've been competing in strength sports for over 15 years now and still going and still PR. You must learn to pace yourself for progress. Absolutely. Yep. I think, were there questions on... There was something about... <laughs> kind of funny. Um, how many days a week do you train chest? I don't uh, train chest. I train bench. Took the answer right from my mouth. <laughs> as powerlifters, we're training squat, bench, and deadlift and what builds the squat, bench, and deadlift. I never look at it as, let me build my chest. And I never look at it as, let me build my biceps or my triceps or my quads. I always look at it as like, what area needs strength and how can I strengthen them within a similar pattern to the actual big three lift? So if we're looking to build our quads, we don't do leg extensions. We do like high bar squats or maybe heel elevated high bar squats to really focus on the quads and stuff like that. When we're we're doing bench, if we want to emphasize the pecs, maybe we take an illegal wide grip because the wider the grip, the more pec activation and so forth and less tricep and shoulder, things like that. We're not really looking at isolation from a muscle group standpoint. We're looking from a motor pattern and then building a muscle within that motor pattern. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> bruh. <Yeah. laughs> oh, also, I will never wear tank tops ever. Um, that's not true. You wear a tank top when we get tattoos. I did not. I cut the sleeves off my shirt. It's totally different. Or cut off. Yeah, I cut the sleeves <laughs> off, man. 
I can't I can't wear a tank top. I can't do it. <laughs> I probably would wear a crop top before I would ever wear a tank top. Okay. But then again, you've seen me dress and you've seen some of my Florida man outfits, so that's just not saying very much. Yeah? It's true. What do we got question-wise? Okay, probably last one. No, we'll see what we got. Some of them are quicker than others. Suggestions to address knees locking out before hips and upper body do on sumo poles. Jordan, you just suck, man. Yeah, get, just get better. Just get better. Try harder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Drew, good question. So this is very often what happens when people don't know how to do thoracic extension within the sumo pole. There's a rhythm to the sumo pull. We have to come from thoracic extension and then tuck the hips underneath us. So when people do tend to lock the legs first and not the upper back at the same time, it is usually because the legs are stronger than the upper back can handle. So for someone like that, you're going to be working on thoracic extension movements and that could be seated good mornings with an SSB to work on the thoracic extension. It might be a pen lay style row where you're coming from a dead stop on the floor and actually rowing up with thoracic extension and so forth. So it's not so much a tip that's gonna be like a cue like do this, it's gonna be identifying what's weak within that movement chain and it's your thoracic extension, upper back strength and so forth. So that's what you probably want to start working around is building up your upper back strength with more direct row work and seated good mornings to build your thoracic extension so it's strong enough to carry over to what you can do with your legs. I like um, pause deadlifts and deadlifts to knee for that too, like as more of a secondary movement. Like I like the seated SSB good mornings and mm -hmm. pen lay rows like that for your like main accessory. But I do like the pause deadlifts and the halting deadlifts because you do have to lead with those with your thoracic extension rather than just uh, ripping it off the ground with your legs. And then it yeah. teaches, you know, when you slow that movement down and you get to your knees, then you can, once they pause at the knees, then you can say, now push your legs. Mm -hmm. You're already in a position, your upper body is already in a position to where once you push your legs, that's all you have to do. All you have to do is lock the quads. It's actually the intent of the deadlift to the knee, which most Americans bastardize as the Boris deadlift because it's the Boris Shako movement. But the deadlift to knee is supposed to be done from thoracic extension only, and then you time it and build it through all the way through. So you're only doing like, you do like three deadlift knees and then one full deadlift, like three deadlift knees and one full deadlift. That's the idea of building that thoracic deadlift, thoracic extension within the deadlift pattern and not fatiguing yourself out or taxing the legs as much because the legs are already strong. That's what, the, that's what it's for. Uh, I did have a video up where it talks about the difference between a pause deadlift and a deadlift to the knee and the why. We also have it on Culture Nutrition. It's on the Culture Nutrition page, so make sure you check that out. So that, that's on there. So that's, that's understanding the intent of the movement. Um... Okay, need help staying in the gym. My PTSD gets me down and I have a hard time staying with it. Advice. So this kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit of when you can't control something, um, dealing with the emotion of and why we wouldn't necessarily want to lift from anger all the time or from emotions. This is someone who's acknowledging that they have PTSD, uh, I'm assuming from service. So if that's the case, thank you for your service. But it's one of those things where outside psychological help is going to be your best bet because the gym is therapeutic as it is at times is not therapy. You're acknowledging that you have some things that overwhelm you from an emotional standpoint. You need to develop a uh, coping mechanism. Sounds like a bad word here, but that's what you need to do is develop coping strategies. Well, healthy. A healthy yeah, coping healthy coping strategies. strategies, not just pushing it in the gym and so forth. Because when you get really, really depressed or really, really down, or there is some anxiety that can come with PTSD, these things can overwhelm you. So you're going to want to find a therapist who maybe is familiar with the PTSD type that you have and can really help you. Uh, I do have lifters who've had PTSD who've got some therapy. I will be honest, the first couple of weeks when you're going over these things can be a little bit rough because you're exposing yourself to these things that you've been trying to suppress. Um, but in the long run, it really does help 
to have someone to talk to and someone who can teach you healthy coping strategies so you don't rely on the gym as a coping strategy, which is probably why you started getting to the point where you don't even want to go to the gym because you were tapping into that anger or tapping into that emotion instead of tapping into the joy of being able to lift because lifting is fun. Lifting is a gift, especially when you're part of a community. So I would always say of, in this case, find a community of lifters that you can join make them aware a little bit of what you struggle through and why so maybe they can recognize it. When I owned the training studio, one of my trainers was somebody who was in the military and had severe PTSD and every now and again, I would see him staring at a wall and talking to a wall and I would see that he had zoned out and gone places and we never knew how he was gonna react when you came up to him so what I would usually do is pull the members away from him and explain why, just in case he did snap and I would try and find a way to get into his vision and remind him back to where he was and keep him calm and talk about things or maybe make a joke and try and get him to laugh and so forth and just like, hey man, you all right? You know, wanna get a little water or something or blah, blah, blah because I would see that point where, where they would uh, zone out from PTSD and actually go back into you know, their time in the military and some of the things they were exposed to and some of the loss. And if someone's in that zone and you like tap them on the shoulder, they can flip out. So, you know, it's always good to make your supporting group aware of what you're dealing with, what you have, and make sure it's a positive environment. We talk about this in every seminar, training in a positive environment, um, because that's how you're gonna thrive. You're gonna want to look forward to training. So you wanna make sure that you're in a group that is fun, just having fun. You don't have to push your maxes. You don't have to push it to powerlifting until you're in the right headspace. But if you create the habit of training as training being fun, you'll do it more often. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, therapy is definitely the first thing that you should be going to to address those issues. Um, second step is, you know, like like get an accountability buddy or get a buddy or something that, you know, like they maybe can train at the same time that you can. And it's someone that you can go and, you know, kind of talk and chat with while you're lifting. Like it makes it a little bit more enjoyable to go to the gym when you have someone to go with you. Um, maybe not even four or five days a week, maybe just once or twice a week. Uh, someone that can be there with you to kind of push you along and get you a little bit more encouraged to want to go. Because I know that it is not always the easiest if you're in a bad place to get yourself physically to the gym. And then we tend to feel frustrated and we tend to feel a little bit down and out that we missed it. Like we, we feel so bad that we don't want to go, but then you feel even worse that you didn't go. Um, and so it's kind of like a repetitive cycle there. So also putting like not a lot of, if you're not like in meat prep and you don't have anything specific coming up, like not putting a lot of pressure on yourself to actually get there if you really don't feel like it that day. Like mm -hmm. if you are just really having a rough time and you're making yourself feel terrible about having to go to the gym, that's only going to continue to add this disdain and like this kind of uh, separation from training in your brain. So if you're not having a good day, that's fine. Just take it stay, you know, stay at home or like go with a friend or do whatever. Like don't put so much pressure on yourself to get into the gym if you're really not feeling it. Um, but outside of therapy, I do think that finding a community, even if it's only one person to go with you to the gym can really help because it puts a positive light on that and it gives you some social hour. It gives you endorphins, a little bit of serotonin to talk yeah. to some people. Um, especially if we're cooped up all the time. And understand your triggers. You know, when you're training, it may not be the best for you to listen to five finger death punch. It might be better for you to listen to freaking, you know, in sync. <laughs> we joke about this often. Um, like when we're working, I don't want like angry, aggressive music because then I'm like, I'm not working. I mean like angry and aggressive. So I'll constantly put on like on, on, on the Amazon thing, like, you know, Elton John radio, something that just I can zone out from and just have fun. Uh, there was a video I put up last year where I did like a, a 10 rep PR deadlifts to It's Raining Men. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to get emotional in the process. So if you understand that you have certain triggers that remind you of those memories, do your best to reduce those triggers and find things that are funny or fun or comical. Uh, I knew a guy who used to listen to comedy 
comedy, uh, not, not podcast, but like you can actually download audible comedy things and there's a station on Pandora that does like stand-up comedy or whatever. And he would listen to that. So he would have fun. He would just laugh and listen to that. And that's what kept him in the zone. So find something that brings you joy, put it in your headphones and do that. You'll start associating training with joy. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So that's uh, that's our whole episode today, episode 33, Search New Levels. This gets released on Monday on every podcast platform you want. Thank you for dropping questions on here, and thank you for dropping questions in our story. Uh, make sure you're following and support Culture Nutra. And so he asked about the swamp water. That's because I actually have the Culture Nutra greens in here, so it is green. But it tastes great, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you guys next week.